Nearly a wide swath of southeast Portland, the current House representative is Rob Nose. In this election cycle, he has a competitor in Paige Kreisman challenging him for the seat. Today, we have an opportunity to get to learn about Rob's campaign and vision for the district. Welcome to X-Ray, Rob Nose. Hi, Emily. Can you hear me? Thanks for having me. I can hear you. Welcome back. Tell us, who are you and why are you running to keep your House District seat? So, Emily, um, I have served in the legislature now for three terms. I've been the representative for House District 42 since I first got elected in 2014. Mm -hmm. And um, your listeners may not know, but I'm a pretty proven progressive and activist. I I have a long time of, of sort of working in Salem and then... Uh, working in the labor movement and the LGBTQ movement in this state. I, I got my start in Oregon in the 90s when I moved here to run the Oregon Student Association to try to combat right-wing property tax measures that were being passed and uh, also deal with a lot of uh, very anti-gay ballot measures that were being put on the ballot back then. Um, I transitioned out of being a student organizer, activist, into uh, working in the labor movement. And I got out of politics in the labor movement really fast and, and became a, a labor organizer, a union rep, uh, helping public sector workers and then healthcare workers uh, to bargain contracts. And since 2004, I've worked at Oregon Nurses Association. Along the way, my husband and I adopted two kids. We got married. Um, stayed active around school funding issues and LGBTQ issues and then an opportunity to run for the legislature came in 2014 actually 2013 when the the incumbent decided to run for county commissioner and Mm -hmm. I ran and I've been serving since then. And as you think about these three terms that you've served in Salem what are the accomplishments you're most proud of Rob? Well in my first term um, I was a leader in helping to pass um, a statewide paid sick leave requirement uh, that all employers have to provide paid sick leave to their workforce. It was one of the first of its kind in the United States. Um, I was also leader in that session, well, in raising our minimum wage statewide. That was something I was very proud to do. Um, In 2018, I helped pass a bill uh, that uh, required price transparency for prescription drugs for pharmaceuticals and that is helping to reduce the cost of medications here in Oregon and maybe across the United States. In the last long session 2019 I was a leader for paid family medical leave one of the best most comprehensive paid family medical leave laws in the United States and something I'm really proud of I feel like my political life got to come full circle we passed the largest corporate tax increase in the history of our state to finally get schools funded again the way that they should have been and that was something I moved here to work on in the 90s Um, and it it took almost 30 years but we finally um, got a big tax in place to get schools better funded. And as you look forward what are the most urgent priorities that you want to tackle next? Well um, it's funny prior to COVID-19 I would have said climate change is the big piece of unfinished business that um, Um, the Democrats in Salem have not been able to accomplish um, what we set out to do on. But I think, candidly, right now, I feel like um, even in 2021, which feels 
pretty far away from right now. I believe our legislative session will be dominated by COVID-19, whether it's dealing with the budget and what impacts COVID-19 has on our state's revenues and the programs that the state funds, or whether it's examining, you know, what is it that uh, made our unemployment system so um, painstakingly slow in responding to people and what legislative fixes do we need to make to deal with that? What, what public health um, priorities do we need to lift up and change in light of what the pandemic has shown us about our public health system? Um, you know, what are we going to do to continue to get schools funded um, or help folks deal with the housing crisis so that we don't make our homeless situation worse because of the pandemic? I just think it's going to be all COVID-19 all the time in the next legislative session. And you've served on the health care committee as a House representative. What role will or could the health care committee play in COVID-19 response and recovery? Well, it'll play a lot of roles. Um, we'll be examining things like how do we make the Oregon health plan more available? If we get a better Congress and a different president, it's possible that our state could actually get to a place where we could implement some sort of universal single payer, Medicare for all style system of healthcare the way that you know Bernie has campaigned on for the last four years in his first presidential race and his and in his race in here in 2020. And with a different federal government, we might actually be able to make progress on that. And that would come through the healthcare committee. If we change the way we deliver public health in this state and we improve it in light of everything that we're learning from COVID-19, those will be policy decisions that will come through the healthcare committee. Um, so, you know, it'll be a very busy committee would be my guess in the next legislative session. And could you speak a little to the mechanics of that? So more specifically, how, how does money, how do priorities come from the federal government to the committee and then actually get enacted? Well, the, the healthcare committee itself is less of a budget committee. So I'm mm -hmm. going to, I'm, I'm also, I'm not, I'm just on the healthcare committee. I'm the, co-chair of the Ways and Means, which is, that's our budget committee, we call it Ways and Means, um, for human services. And that's where all of the funding decisions will get made about, can we afford a universal health care system? How would we pay for it? What money can we get from the federal government to prop up the Affordable Health Care Act? And so um, during the legislative session, uh, starting in February, we'll you know, examine what revenues we have, how many people are on the Oregon Health Plan, what steps we need to take to get to universal coverage, and how do we pay for it? Where will money from the feds come? What money can we get from our state? And pull all that together to try to you know, make a more comprehensive healthcare system in our state. Mm -hmm. What have you learned about how to get things done in Salem over, over your tenure as the House Representative for the district? Um, well, first I would remind all your listeners that we exist in um, a ton of complexity. Mm -hmm. So every topic that you think about, whether it's healthcare or forestry practices or education or transportation or how long someone should stay in jail if they commit a crime, all of those have tons of law and budget and statute uh, that interact with each other to try to figure out how to make those systems work. And part of your job as a legislator, it's kind of like you get on a committee, and, and for listeners that have gone to college, 
you know, you have a major, and so you end up majoring in taxes or majoring in criminal justice or majoring in healthcare. And so figuring out all these, com these complex laws and the programs and the budgets that support them is a big part of the job. The next thing I think that's really important is being able to listen to other people. Um, you're gonna get a lot of input from your constituents, um, from other legislators, from advocates, from people that run government programs and discerning all of that information in some way to help you figure out what priorities you know we need to lift up or what things we don't need to do right now or what policies we need to make changes in. Those are really big pieces of the job. And then the other thing I would say too is that it's pretty helpful to have a curious mind. Why do you, Emily, feel the way that you do about a bill or a policy? What's informing you um, intellectually or emotionally for why you want to vote for something or don't want to vote for something? And being willing to dig in and understand that about other human beings, I think is also something that makes, um, it's an important quality to have in a legislator. And with a, you know, other house districts have a large geographic footprint, how do you make sure that you're listening to voices across that, across that district and especially diverse voices that might have different perspectives than you do? Um, well, you do it in a lot of different ways. So, you know, you get um, in this job, you get a lot of mostly email um, from all sorts of groups, whether it's people that are advocating on changing our laws around police violence or changing some of our approaches to how we deal with housing. Um, you'll get emails uh, from folks that care about those issues. Organizations that have advocates that they employ or a membership base will call you up and ask to meet with you. And I take as many meetings as I can with constituents and advocates. Again, I think that's part of the role. That's how you learn um, you know, what's going on what you should consider, what's a good idea, what's a bad idea. All that information is constantly sort of swirling in your head. So I, I take a lot of meetings with people, not just in the district, but also advocates and people that live in other parts of the state that have knowledge or expertise or maybe an opinion that I'm not sure about to try to inform um, what I'm doing and how I'm looking at things. And then, you know, you send out mailings, you do town halls, um, you do things where you try to invite voters to come to you as well uh, to get information mm -hmm. um, and help inform your decision making. Are there any meetings you wouldn't take? Oh gosh, <laughs> what an interesting question. I mean, you know, there have been times where, um, you know, I can remember meeting with a right to life lobbyist. I'm very pro-choice. Um, I absolutely believe in a, a woman's right to an abortion. Um, I was very proud to vote, vote for one of the most comprehensive reproductive health care acts that was passed in the United States in my second term. Um, but I did take a meeting with a right to life lobbyist. I have, I met in my first term, I thought it was a super odd meeting uh, with someone who was trying to um, make it so that conversion therapy would still be a thing. And here I was an openly gay man, um, you know, lobbying to ban conversion therapy. But I, I took the meeting with that person anyway. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes you just have to do things like that. And have you gotten it wrong with any of your votes? 
Wow, that's a really good question. I mean, I think that's uh, getting it wrong, I think, is in the eye of the beholder. Right. Um, yeah. Anything you know, that, any votes that you regret that you would have voted differently now with 2020 hindsight? Well, I mean, you know, I wish that our pension system um, wasn't so underfunded uh, that I had to take a vote to, you know, ask hardworking employees to contribute a little bit to the cost of it. I mean, that was a very tough vote for me. Um, as a union person, you know, who has bargained for better working conditions, for um, improvements in benefits like health care, like retirement, um, to take a vote to try to rein in the cost of that system a little bit and um, ask, you know, the workforce to contribute to some of that cost. That was a very tough vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you mentioned the budget and sort of this next session is going to be a tough one. The revenue picture is going to be very different than, than any session that you've, you've experienced or probably has happened previously. How will you just sort of, if you step back from a 30,000 per, uh, foot perspective, what's the lens that you're going to be utilizing in order to evaluate priorities for us in COVID-19 recovery? What does that look like for you? Well, I am hopeful about a couple of things. First, unlike the last recession that our state was in, we have pots of money that we have set aside in savings that we'll be able to tap into. I don't know yet if they'll be able to cover all of the costs that we'll experience or cover the revenue shortfall that we're likely to experience because we're in a recession or maybe a depression and our state's revenue is so reliant on income taxes, we'll see. Um, you know, hopefully our federal government is gonna come to its senses and realize that uh, not providing resources to the states, which can't print money, which just about every single state in the United States is required to balance its budget. So we need the federal government to provide Resources, So hopefully that will come in. And then we won't have to cut significantly programs for housing, for education, for health care. Um, so we'll see, right? It'll, we'll have a better sense of how difficult this is going to be um, on May 20, the day after the primary, uh, when we hear from the state's economists, they give a report to our, our revenue committee about how we're doing in terms of our tax collection. So we'll, we'll have a better sense of that. So it's a, it's a very much a moving target. And I'll just say this, you know, if, the, if we're able to open the economy back up this summer, um, maybe things roar back and we don't have the kind of revenue shortfall that we're anticipating that we have right now. If we continue to be shut down or if we open back up and then the virus surges again, um, it could be a whole nother ball game. So, I'll be focusing my budget priorities on making sure we take care of human need and the social safety net and funding um, education programs just like I always have. As folks look at the candidates in your race, what makes you different? Well, I think, you know, I have a long track record of actually accomplishing things in Salem and as a union person and as a legislator. So I got my start in political activism in Oregon in the 90s, um, trying to keep tuition low and financial aid flowing at our state universities. 
And that really steeped me in tax policy and the education budget. I went to work for the labor movement and the unions I was involved with have always been involved politically, so that kept me tied in. And union advocacy, trying to work out a contract, trying to you know work out something with management is a pretty good skill set uh, for negotiating on bills and budgets in the capital. And I think union people do very well in Salem because you're used to the push and pull of power and not having a good argument or figuring out how to put more pressure on something or regrouping and 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 trying to you know figure out how to pass something maybe next session because we couldn't get it this session um and so i just think that experience and then you know i have three terms under my belt where i've i've passed legislation i've learned about tax policy i've learned about the budget and bringing that skill set into what's going to be a very difficult legislative session i think will serve voters in southeast portland well Mm. the last two sessions have been totally stopped by folks walking out. Yeah. What's, what's going to make this next session different? How do you keep everybody there and engaged to make decisions? That's a really great question. Day? I'm going to dodge and say I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Um, hopefully, uh, we're going to get back to working on climate change. It's still unfinished business. Um, there are two initiatives that are being circulated that I support that try to get at the quorum rules so that a minority of right-wing Republicans can't just stop what the majority of the state wants to accomplish. That said, if we're social distancing and we can't walk around and collect signatures, I think our ability to collect those is pretty tough, yeah. and they may not make it on the ballot. This could this November could be um, one of the few ballots maybe in the history of our state where we have barely any mm-hmm. um, initiatives on the ballot. And so then we'll see. We'll see how many, you know, Democrats, Republicans get elected or reelected in the November election. And that will sort of determine the working conditions. If we're still dealing with COVID-19 and trying to solve those problems, I I guess I give, I don't know, maybe this is false optimism, but I want to believe that Republicans, you know, will care about putting programs and budgets in place for the good of the state. And they won't walk out to the detriment of the things that we need to do to help Oregonians continue to survive this pandemic. Mm. But we'll see. Does that does that mean that you think they didn't see the priorities in this session as an impo- as important enough to stay there? Meaning, you know, well, you got, so yeah. with with the 2019 session, they walked out because they didn't want to pass the climate change. They walked out twice, actually. The sure. first time it was about a gun bill and about vaccinations. The second time it was to stop passage of the climate change bill. My chamber voted on uh, the climate change bill, but it died in the Senate due to the walkout. In 2020, which uh, the February, early March session feels like ages ago, they walked out again to pass, uh, to prevent passage of a climate change bill. And I I assume that we're still going to try to tackle climate change, but we'll be dealing with all of the COVID-19 response and a lot of other things. And I'm hopeful they won't want to walk out again, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Now you're on page 59 of my voters pamphlet. Um, and of course your endorsements are listed there. What does your coalition look like that's supporting you? Well, um, 
I have, you know, volunteers from people that have known me throughout my life uh, and my activism, whether it was with students or nurses or the LGBTQ movement or friends of mine that have uh, worked with me in the legislature. And then, you know, I have supporters from Basic Rights Oregon, the, the main LGBTQ lobbying group that's in the Capitol, Planned Parenthood and NARAL. The Oregon League of Conservation Voters has endorsed me and they're helping my race. Oregon Nurses Association, United Food and Commercial Workers, two unions that represent a workforce that are really on the front lines of this pandemic are helping my campaign, as are the Teamsters and the, and the Carpenters. And so it's, you know, uh, I've got folks I've met from neighborhood associations and parent-teacher association meetings who are also helping my campaign as well. But we're kind of pretty much just reduced to phone banking. Mm-hmm. Now, how has your campaign changed? during COVID-19? Well, it's, I mean, basically the only sort of voter outreach activity that you can really do is mail Mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit of commercial, though TV is not really a a very cost-effective way to advertise to Southeast Portland voters because you end up advertising to North Portland and Gresham and mm-hmm. and Hillsboro if you invest in that. So it's not a very effective use of campaign resources. So you, mostly it's mail and phone banking and occasionally getting someone to put up a lawn sign. And that's about it, which is too bad, actually, because I'm a pretty good canvasser. I really like meeting voters at the door. And any veteran campaigner will tell you that if you can convince a voter at their home at the doorstep to vote for you, that's probably the best form of contact that you can make. Mm. And Rob, one more time, why should folks vote for you for House District 42? Well, Emily, thanks for asking that. <laughs> um, I would say, again, I would, I would ask voters in 42 to realize that I'm a proven progressive, an activist with a track record of accomplishing things in Salem that this district cares about. I'm committed to you know, putting things in place to help us continue to survive and thrive under COVID-19, to fight the pharmaceutical industry and their price gouging, to stand up for renters, to get us to a universal single-payer style healthcare system the way that Bernie has been campaigning for. And, you know, I'm ready to go back to my roots and try to uh, reduce tuition at our universities, if not outright eliminate it. And and get back to trying to pass bold climate change because as we've talked about in this interview, it's still unfinished business that we haven't done and it's something we need to do. We need to have a Green New Deal here in Oregon. Mm. And Rob, where can folks find out about you and your campaign? Well, they're welcome to call me, uh, 971-235-9342, that's my cell number. And then they can go to my website at, it's just www.robnos.com com. My last name is spelled N-O-S-S-E. It's like nose with an extra S. Excellent. Rob, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, Emily, thanks for hosting and uh, good on X-Ray for putting on um, events and, and talk shows like this. Excellent. Thank you. You're candidate number 43, I believe. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people running for city council and mayor um, in this community. Not as much uh, not as much activism in the state rep space this time. That's true. Yeah. Actually, you're at candidate number 45. Had to double check my numbers there. 45, Rob. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few other house races where there are very active primaries around the city. 
Um, but it seems like everybody's running for mayor or city council. It's true. There's a lot of really interesting races for sure. Well, Rob, thank you so much. And yeah, appreciate again, you Emily, on. thanks for hosting. It was nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you too. Thanks, Rob. Again, Rob okay. Nose, incumbent House District 42. You can find out more at robnose.com. That's R-O-B-N-O-S-S-E.com.
House District 42 covers primarily